Welcome everybody to the Haunted Hacker podcast number 46. Uh, this is like our fifth in a week. Um, we, tonight we have Dr. Davis and I'll let him introduce himself here shortly. Um, it's a little bit of news. Um, Confluence, if you have a client or if you have Confluence yourself, I would suggest taking a look at it and making sure you're not vulnerable. It's being exploited massively publicly. Um, and just a few updates for my speaking engagements. I'll be speaking in Cyprus in October, uh, the 28th in Dallas, and I'll be doing the London Met um, Cyber Prevent Intervention Program uh, for the London Police. And this is episode number 47. I've lost track, obviously. Um, so with that being <coughs> said, I will pass it over to Dr. Davis and let him introduce himself and give us a little bit of background about who he is and what he's done. and. It's an amazing career, so take it away, Dr. Davis. Oh, thanks, Mike. Yeah, so uh, I'm Joseph Davis. Uh, got started years and years ago as a pretty much as a kid. You know, the whole phone freaking thing, where you'd get a trunk line so you could make a you know a long distance phone call just to say you did. You know, those types of things. Um, parents put a lot of pressure on me not to go that route. You know, uh, cybersecurity wasn't a thing. Computers were very nascent, you know, um, old fashioned parents, World War II generation pushed me to uh, do the whole medicine thing, got a degree in biology, got a degree in medicine, did that for a while, wasn't very happy with it, well, you know, finally came to a reckoning where I was like, dude, I'm hanging up my uh, lab coat and basically never turned back. I went to England for a while, worked um, a little bit with um factory records did, did a screenplay you know kind of goofed around and then came back and got a job at ibm and and that was kind of the beginning of the end for me um i i didn't see it as a job i saw it as a playground and uh had a lot of uh, learning lessons and you know formal it stuff at that time you know because before that everything was self-taught but you know i got into ibm i I really dug in. I mean, this is the era of OS2 where, you know, Lou Gerstner pretty much said nobody can run Windows, nobody can run anything except AIX or OS2. So, and ironically, those are the two operating systems I supported and got paid to support. And, uh, you know, from there, got, you know, just got tired of working in Vermont, went down to Massachusetts, just during dot-com, things were, things were heating up in the late 90s, got a job not immediately with BBN, but eventually got a job with uh, BBN. They were, they got acquired by GTE. So BBN Planet became GTE Internetworking. BBN Planet still stayed for branding reasons. Um, and, you know, I worked alongside a lot of uh, real, real hackers, right? I, I always thought to myself, I was just an imposter, you know, I was just playing around, just uh, getting myself in trouble. But um, I'm working. I'm working alongside all these folks, not realizing that they're basically 85% of the loft. <laughs> and I'm like, and they're and and Mudge especially was incredible. He kind of took me under his wing, and he was wow. like, "Hey, hey, check this out." You know, he we used to throw books in my office. Um, we all had offices. There were no cubes in that building. It was building two. If anyone knows bbn it's down in like the it was down in the fresh pond area of cambridge uh building two is kind of famous because 
according to legend, that's where the first uh, packet switching router was delivered from Honeywell. It was designed by the BBN engineers and mm -hmm. so it like arrived in the lobby there of Labor Day 1968. Don't ask me why I know this. It's really sad. And I remember one um, one lunch, we were all doing Atkins at the time. Well, all of us fat guys. I mean, the rest of us were, you know, like much, much had and, and, you know, in Weld Pond and the rest of these guys were kind of skinny, but, you know, um, I was probably 40 pounds overweight and I was, I was doing Atkins. And so I was, I was sitting with a group of engineers and we were all doing Atkins. And I, I mean, for months I was sitting next to Ray Tomlinson and I had no idea. I, you know, we chat about different things, but I had no idea he was the at, at symbol guy for email until one day he's like, yeah, tonight we're all going to be on PBS. I'm like, what? why <laughs> and it was yeah i guess the book when wizards stay up late was coming out so they they were doing this like you know um you know internet pioneers kind of awards and everything and then i got to find out you know dr kent and all, all these people i'd been working with for months just as like you know lowly i think my uh title was like uh system administrator i was supporting mainly Windows NT. I mean, the only Linux they really ran there was Solaris. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I, I was constantly pulling in new versions of, of Linux and fascinating all the, all the, the Cisco, you know, CCIEs and, uh, and all the, all the Unix guys that were like, wow, this is just like Unix. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's based on, <laughs> you know, and, and they knew a ton more than I did, you know, but still it was, uh, we were kind of like, you know, feeding each other's fires, you know. So I, I worked there until they got acquired um, and kind of got spun out as Genuity and I guess Verizon took the rest of them. Mm -hmm. um, then I went into consulting for probably about five years and I basically saw everything. I got a peek behind the curtain in terms of financial systems, medical systems, uh, insurance, uh, retail, you know, basically like, wow, it really is the Wizard of Oz back here. It's just the... Uh, a little old man, you know, controlling all the buttons and, and this stuff is completely vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was providing IT services, but I was also providing security services because while I was out there, you know, that's what they wanted IT services. Most companies in like, you know, 99, 2000, 2001, they weren't really interested in cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. And even though I'd tell them, look, you know, you're, you're completely vulnerable. Like, you know, it only takes a couple of carriage returns to get into your VPN. Like what the hell? And you guys still have dial-up modems that go straight to your AS400s and on and on and on. So um, I kind of got a, I got a reputation within like the, the consulting community in, in the Boston area, or I should say New England, because we really, the companies I work for kind of covered the entire region. Um, you know, it's like, kind of like the, not the cybersecurity guy, but the security guy, right? And, and I would come in and I would do all this work for them. And I was working for, um, for, I was doing an exchange, what's called an org uh, consolidation. Back in, back in the day, Microsoft Exchange um, didn't really have a directory system, right? It had to rely on Windows NT. And then it brought with it its own directory system. But, you know, when you had a company that was doing a lot of acquisition, you'd pull all that stuff together and you'd want, you know, basically one email system. Some executive somewhere in a newly acquired company wouldn't be able to look in his global address list and send an email to somebody else because it was in a different org, right? So you would have to like, they or she would have to basically, you know, type that stuff out and keep it in their personal address book. And it was just not efficient. So I went in to do this kind of reorg for a, um, a, a major 
uh, medical manufacturing company. I mean, they, they owned a pharmaceutical branch. They had just bought a surgical company, a very popular surgical equipment company on the East Coast in Connecticut. Um, and, you know, basically worked there for a little while. And then the company I was working for through them, it fell apart. Um, you know, dot, dot com happened. You know, everybody was trying to IPO. Um, this company did. The stock went down to nothing. And I didn't find myself out of a job because I jumped ship before that happened. But I jumped ship and I basically went out on my own. So I went directly back to Cambridge to working with a lot of people I had worked with at BBN at a big pharmaceutical company down in Cambridge. And I did that for about four months. And then I, I got a phone call from this big medical manufacturing company. Uh, and Medtronic? Uh, well, it, soon, it was Medtronic. Uh, it got bought by Medtronic. The, the company was, uh, when I went to work for it, it was called Tyco Healthcare. And it, right around the time, people probably remember Dennis Kozlowski of Tyco uh, kind of, you know, getting indicted for all his nonsense. Well, the Tyco company was kind of the shell company. Um, Tyco Healthcare was one of its uh, jewels in the, in the crown, if you will. It was really the crown jewel. Um, they were doing things pretty ethically. They had their own CEO. Um, they didn't get caught up in the scandal, but we still had the name Tyco. So around 2007, they, they were like, you know what, this name is just like haunting us. We got to get rid of this name. And um, we, we became Covidian at that time um, nice. and eventually got a new CEO who was kind of coming up through the ranks. And that's really, that new CEO, he was sitting on the board of a lot of, um, a lot of different, you know, military uh, contracting companies, you know, your Lockheed's, your BAA systems, you know, all that. And he, you know, we was reaching out to the CIO of the company saying, what are you guys doing about cybersecurity? It's a big problem. And quite frankly, the CIO who retired before Medtronic uh, bought us, um, you know, he wasn't really up on, he didn't want to spend any extra money on, on, on cybersecurity. We really had to convince him. Um, so we had like our data privacy officer and I would go in and try and convince him. But when the CEO got involved, everything changed. Um, he was basically putting pressure on the CFO to give us a budget. And we built, a, we built out a SOC and chief general counsel, very impressed with it. We basically reported into them. We no longer reported into IT, which kind of caused a riff internally, politically. You know, we wanted one thing, IT wanted something else. Um, and, and basically ran, you know, because I was one of the only people doing security there, it was like me and two other people, um, you know, I was charged with building this entire infrastructure around security risk. We had a risk team, we had a, a cybersecurity and a SOC team, we, we had a, a compliance team, you know, digital compliance, not device compliance. Mm -hmm. and, and it got real interesting because a lot of our trade secrets were sought after by, you know, certain nation state threat actors. So we got to see quite a bit while I was there, we got hit with Stuxnet, even before that SQL Slammer, uh, Code Red, you name it. We, we, every old, you know, basically these field salespeople would go out, they wouldn't VPN back in and they just, just like kids going to kindergarten, they'd come back and infect the entire family, right? So oh, yeah. you know, every, every five minutes we were like knocking something else down with very ineffective tools. Um, but, the, you know, really, it kind of, it builds a battle tested person, you know, in terms of our team, we, we knew what we were looking for, we were kind of in the trenches, and there were there wasn't a lot of information sharing back then. So it's not like we could call up a, a competitor like a St. Jude or a, 
uh, you know, some other med device company like Medtronic and say, hey, what are you guys experiencing? Nobody was giving up the goods. Nobody was talking about anything. So we, we basically did it in a vacuum. We built it from scratch in a vacuum. And when Medtronic came and bought us, we had, we had so much infrastructure. You know, every internet egress had this, this like quarter of a million dollar stack that would just basically be looking at everything. You know, you'd say, well, what about east-west traffic? And we were getting around to that. We were trying to implement network access control when, when they came and bought us and we had this massive Splunk Im implementation. Um, you know, we were, we were putting a lot of pressure on manufacturing to kind of upgrade their equipment or go to isolated, you know, uh, air gap networks. And, uh, you know, just because we kind of saw the writing on the wall with respect to ransomware. I'm talking around 2012, 20, 2011, 2012, 2013. Right. Uh, Medtronic uh, stated their intentions. I want to say it was around 2014 when they stated their intentions and actually bought us. And I was shocked because they were about the same size as we were. Um, and I, I would think we would buy them, but no, they somehow, you know, the two CEOs, Omar and, and uh, Jose, they agreed to have, you know, Medtronic buy us. And Medtronic already had this massive infrastructure with respect to security. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm going to say ours was better than theirs. <laughs> <laughs> But with, they were they were um, they were kind of beating us up, you know, around around the technology, and uh, they wanted to stick with what they had, and you know, there was there was a lot of political infighting, and who's going to get what position, and you know, all the VPs were kind of like given a golden handshake and told to take off on the Covidian side. So I really had nobody in my corner, right. and I was gone. I was flying out to Minnesota constantly. I'm a right now. I'm like I grew up in Jersey, but I'm stationed in, in Boston. And uh, I didn't, I was like, oh, Minnesota, man, it's not my, my gig. I, I'm just not, I'm just not a Minnesota, I'm not a Midwest guy. Right. You know, I, and I think, you know, if you're an East Coast or West Coast person, you know what I'm talking about. Exactly. So I was like, you know, all right, this is, this is done. So I find a, found another job at, at a company where, you know, the CIO had worked for Tyco for about 10 minutes back in the, like the late nineties, early two thousands. And. I was a CISO there for a while. We did sensors and controls. They were an offshoot of Texas Instruments. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, it was it's still a multinational company, but made about half as much as uh, of the revenue of Covidian, right. but still multinational, which made it really, really interesting because then it sucked us into the whole data privacy thing. You know, it's not all fun and games. Cybersecurity, once you, once you start kind of climbing the corporate ladder, everything falls in your lap because, you know, the civilians, they're like, we don't know what this means to, mm -hmm. you know, especially general counsel at the time. Like what, what the hell is privacy shield? What the hell is GDPR and that kind of thing. Now at the time, GDPR didn't exist. Right. So it was like GDPR came like the year after I left. Um, and I could, I could only put up with so much. I'm not going to go in too much into what, what went down at that company. I'm not even going to mention the name of the company, but um, there were some pretty serious issues that I just did not want to deal with anymore. So I basically w walked away and um, favorably, right around the same time, somebody I worked with about 20 years earlier, he, he was like, hey, come over to work for our consulting firm. We're part of Accenture. I'm like, all right. He's like, dude, I don't know how you did corporate for all those years. He goes, I would I would have. I would have hung myself, you know? I mean, you're just, it's amazing that you, you hung out for that long without going crazy because I'm, I got ADHD and I'm constantly, you know, like I'm all over the place. Right. Yeah, but I, I did the, I did the whole consulting thing for about mm, two and a half years uh, advisor at the advisory level. Um, it's again, cybersecurity. And uh, because we were a Microsoft partner, 
you know, I was rubbing elbows with a lot of the Microsoft folks, but at the time I'm like, well, Microsoft doesn't really do anything with respect to security, but little did I know that, you know, something was brewing, right? They, you know, Satya had worked with some of the people I'm working with now and there were, and he, he was like, look, we, we got to bring in some talent where we have to be taken seriously. Security is a huge deal because you got to, you got to think about what was going on at the time, you know, you know, the, the massive ransomware de you know, uh, deployments were happening and the, you know, attacks against Active Directory, you know, because it's so legacy, it's, you know, 20 years old, it supports NTLM, you know, all these issues, right? You know, problems with the operating system, problems with transparency, problems with trust. And Satya knew, I mean, he's a shrewd businessman. He knew if, if our customers didn't trust Microsoft, they weren't going to go with our services. You know, AWS is just going to take off and Microsoft would have been a has-been, right? So, we they got really 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 serious about security and um ann johnson who probably some of your viewers know um she, she used to work for rsa she was mm -hmm. she was brought on uh dana kelly i'm sorry diana kelly was brought on why i call her dana all the time she's probably <laughs> want to strangle me she's watching this um you know diana kelly and and there were a lot of really you know cool people that were working there and i'm like what the hell is going on so uh, I think it was a July, around July timeframe, Anne reached out to me through LinkedIn and said, hey, uh, she didn't want to like, you know, reach out to my corporate email address. And she's like, hey, you interested in joining the team of former CISOs that we have um, in, in cybersecurity here? It's, it's a kind of a pre-sales role where, you, you know, you go in, you explain to other CISOs how our stuff works. And you're, you're really transparent with them and any, any problems with our, our stuff, you bring back to the product teams and, you know, don't, don't wear any kid gloves. You know, this is, we're serious about this. If our product sucks, we have gaps, we want to know it and close them. Right. We want to be able to, you know, we want to be the best. And, and I was just, I was kind of blown away by that attitude. They were being very transparent. They were supporting all the operating systems. They were talking about, you know, heterogeneousness and so i was like yeah it sounds sounds like a, a good deal you know and, and i'll be in more of a you know an advisory role rather than like a you know a corporate role where again everything gets you know thrown at you and and i you know but my job today and i'm still doing it now and i was back in 2018 and you know my job today is, is to take a lot of heat for the sins of the father you know Microsoft sucks, Windows sucks, it's not sure, nothing works, uh, you know, and then you know, when you when you really start to boil it down, you know, the truth is always kind of gray. It's never black and white. It, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, why did they configure it that way? That's really not a great idea. And sometimes it's, holy shit, there's a big problem here. I got to take it back to the product group and, or, hey, we've got bug bounties coming in that's, you know, they're telling us about our zero days and, you know, we can't, we're not going to announce it until we have a patch and that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then, you know, you get shit from the customer for not, you know, oh, why didn't you tell us sooner? I'm like, well, if we told you sooner, we didn't have a patch for it. Basically, everybody would yes. find out and exploit it, right? Right. And right? right now, it's just the, the state-sponsored threat actors. It's just, you know, China and Russia that know about it. <laughs> so that's why you're probably attacked. But, um, you know, the general population doesn't know about it until we release we're not going to talk about it until we release a patch right right and and quite frankly um you know i'm starting to look at a lot of this stuff and i'm like you know everybody from ibm to oracle to all all the big ones all the even the tiny ones you know the crowd strikes of the world and the, and the proof points of the world and i'm like you know it's this is iterative the software is not perfect it's it's made by humans 
it's made to be backward compatible with a lot of garbage that was put out years ago because the, you know computers just didn't have the capacity to do what they do today. You know, the CPUs weren't as powerful, not, not enough memory, not enough storage. And now that we have cloud, it's like, oh my God, it's like unlimited capacity. And so I'm not, I, I got out of the religious worst thing. I'm just like, I don't really care who butters my bread as long as I can get my job done. And you know, I'm staying on top of things, right? I'm, I'm, you know, if there's, I mean, just do a, you know, an app get or you know, an app up, you know, some upgrade on on a Linux box, and you'll notice every day they're like new stuff. How many patches, you know? And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat up Microsoft for Patch Tuesday. I mean, this this is this is the world we live in, right? Until until something fundamentally changes, yeah. Um, you know, it's gonna be this way. But you know, I'm kind of the apologist at this point. You know, for, but but I, I, I tell you what, though, Microsoft. You know, I I take the opposite stance of most hackers. You know, most hackers are really frustrated with Microsoft and vulnerabilities. But Microsoft has kept me in business for a very long time. <laughs> You know, so I have no hate against Microsoft. As a matter of fact, I interviewed for Microsoft back in 2005. I flew to Redmond, Washington, and it was for the exact type of position you're talking about. So basically, I was going to be in charge of the code scrubbers, and they would hand me the code and say, look, here's the bugs. What do you want to do with it? Do you want to put it back in production or release it? And to me, it was a, it was a catch-22, right? So I, I didn't want to be involved <laughs> with that at all. So I backed out of it. But I mean, your, your career. So when I saw you on LinkedIn, I've, I've been watching your stuff on LinkedIn and looking at your profile and, and some of the things you've done. It's absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, that's why I asked you to be on the show. And, you know, your choice of music is obviously pretty good. Joy Division t-shirt. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we probably got into the industry at about the same time. And, and the connection with you and Mudge is insane. Uh, I remember Mudge from way back in the day. Uh, so that connection, like I didn't know we had that in common until just now, which is really impressive. Um, another reason why I brought you on too is because of the Medtronic and, and the medical background, right? So I have a vested interest in securing medical devices because I have a Medtronic pacemaker in my chest. Um, and one of the first things I did was take the actual reader and look at the, the traffic that was going back and forth via Bluetooth and, and seeing what, what telemetry data was being passed and then the proprietary data and just trying to see how I could fit into that stream. Um, but I think that that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of fear when it comes to a medical device that's, that's, um, that I'm depending on to keep me alive. Um, and with, you know, the thought of an EMP, God forbid that ever happens. And that's probably, you know, worst case scenario, EMPs, or even just walking through a metal detector, for God's sake, at the airport. I almost got pushed to the metal detector in Mexico because they didn't understand pacemaker. Yeah. Um, so you, there's a lot of things. I, I could go on for hours about medical devices and, and you know where that where that's heading and, and the the vulnerabilities and, and the issues. Um, I've done a lot of pen tests on medical facilities and hospitals and it's really quite scary. Um, you know, being able to get to the OR through the guest wireless was, was kind of shaky and, and mm. really eye-opening and, uh, you know, just the little things and, and people don't understand that and they don't look at it really until it affects them directly. And so I remember the night that they put the pacemaker in my chest and they gave me the reader and just the thought of depending on something to keep me alive for the next, you know, 60 years freaked me out to begin with. But then when I figured out that it had Bluetooth enabled on it, uh, I thought, Jesus, 
I, I'm a hacker and you're going to have Bluetooth in my chest? Like that scares the shit out of me. I, I, I'm <laughs> laughing, but it's not funny. I mean, it, it, you're right. Yeah. Uh, but just the, just the idea of putting electronic devices in bodies, yes, they save lives. Um, I also have an epilepsy and I know that they have a uh, nerve stimulator that, that basically the same thing. You know, it's electronic. It helps stimulate the vagus nerve to keep you from going into a seizure. Uh, as a matter of fact, my roommate, uh, Mike, is on right now. He used to work for a company that did those implants. Um, so there's a lot of evolution in that space. And there's actually a DEF CON. There's actually a biohacking village. Yeah, Nina. Nina. Yeah, I, I'm, hey, man. I'm hopefully getting Nina Ali on the, uh, the podcast soon. So we, we were on a show not too, not too long ago together. And kind of connected there and, and poking fun at each other and you know just kind of she was playing the good guys playing the bad guy and it was a lot of fun um but i am so glad that you made the show and, and made time for us um you know i know you have a busy schedule and and just that just having you on the show with your background is is really impressive because you know just going from medicine the the, the focus and the dedication it takes to go into medicine and then taking that to the next level into cybersecurity. And to help people like me who have embedded devices, you know, that's, that's huge. That's a, that's a huge contribution. So tell me, you know, looking at ransomware, and this has always been a big concern of mine. With ransomware, do you see it going over to medical devices or medical equipment as well? It, well, it depends on the surface area. This is the problem. I didn't even talk about the med device component of what I was responsible for over at Covidian. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'll just take it back. Before I answer the question, I'll just take it back to somewhere around 2004, where shout out to Scott Hackett, who was a Covidian's uh, essentially data privacy officer. He was the first security manager, and he, he kind of moved in, over into the data privacy space before the CEO kind of realized that, you know, we needed a sock and things like that. And we worked very closely together, but he used to have conversations all the time with general counsel and engineering about, hey, what are we doing about not just OT, but what are we doing about IOT? And what are we doing about, you know, device safety? We no longer called it security. We called it safety because, because lives are at stake. I got involved with, uh, uh, Dr. Nordenberg and the MDIS. I don't know if anybody on the line knows MDIS, but mm -hmm. this is before Medtronic um, bought us and Medtronic was part of it. So was Da Vinci. So was, yeah, I'm not going to name all the, the companies, you know, but you get the picture. I mean, we're all part of it and the FDA and the VA were pushing hard to make sure there are a lot of really good people out there that are like, these engineers need to figure out, need to be trained in how to code, you know, securely and how to fuzz test. Mm -hmm. Because uh, sometimes the problem was they were just going fast and loose with, let's put Windows XP in like the Philips expert system, you know, not to pick on Philips. I mean, there are plenty of devices out there with like XP as the, as the kernel. And we're like, what the hell? You're using like a commercial operating system, that a consumer operating system that you could you could pick up at Best Buy to run, you know, a ventilator for somebody. I mean, this is crazy. And and their implementations weren't even like the benchmarks weren't even there. It was, you know, you'd crack open the local admin group and there'd be a 900, you know, admin admin 
admin password, admin, you know, P0SS0, whatever, or add P add symbol or whatever. And you'd just be like, what the hell are they doing? So really we were working with the FDA and working together to try and as much as we didn't really share information as well as we should have, in my opinion, we, we were working to try and at least figure out what the taxonomies of medical devices are. Like, okay, we got pacemakers over here. We've got devices that monitor the patient on the, on the, on the wards and the wings and so forth. We've got, you know, um, you know, insulin pumps over here. We've got feeding tubes over here. So it's just kind of like putting things into taxonomies and depending on the manufacturer, maybe one was controlled with Bluetooth. Maybe one was controlled with like, you know, we had a force triad device that got its firmware through an ethernet connection. It wasn't Wi-Fi, but then they retroed it with Wi-Fi. And we were like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, the engineers would just go out and do this. And I would say, even though the implementations were, sh were sh you know, sometimes shoddy at best, the, our biggest fear was they were taking protocols, you know, straight off the shelf, like Bluetooth. And now you're bringing, you know, the sins of the father, all the history of the, of the, uh, of the vulnerabilities with Bluetooth, with the libraries around, you know, just Wi-Fi, 802.1X, you know, or 802.111, sorry, not mm -hmm. 1X, but some were 1X compatible. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was there, all that. And, and you're like, oh, God, we, we don't, nobody's fuzz, fuzz tested this stuff, or nobody even knows what fuzz, fuzz testing is. And so we were trying to get a program implemented um, at the same time, building out this huge IT infrastructure for cybersecurity, just to keep our data safe. Um, and personal information on the patients and our employees safe. We were also doing this whole thing with respect to, you know, making making sure that around the world where all this R&D would, would take place, uh, because we had R&D centers all around the world, I think we had about seven of them, um, that in anything that we acquired that, you know, we were testing and we were making sure that they weren't going to harm the patient. So can ransomware happen with a device? I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past the, you know, the, the attackers. The problem is medical devices are in just, they're so varied. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's kind of like, I look at it like more like Stuxnet because Stuxnet was like built for purpose, right? It was part of Operation Olympic Games. I, I mean, your audience knows the story, so I'm not going to tell the story. But we got hit with it and it was only looking for a particular type of Siemens PLC. Yep. And, you know, because we were doing a lot of, we didn't know what the hell it was. We were working with our antivirus provider at the time, Mac, uh, McAfee, and they were trying to figure it out too. And we're, we're sitting there going, well, it looks like it's after this one specific type of equipment. And we had a lot of things on our manufacturing floors around the world that it could have affected, but didn't. Um, it did affect our file systems because that's how it replicated. So it took took out a lot of our file systems and we had to shut down, you know, file servers that were absolutely critical to our business, you know, bills and material and, and CAD drawings and all those types of things were inaccessible to us for quite some time because, you know, our Windows, you know, 2003 or Windows 2008, whatever the hell it was at the time, I was in July 10th, 2010, not that I'm a savant or anything, but I remember that very clearly. <laughs> I, 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 that was, that was like the week that will live in infamy for me because, you know, it was just like, fix this and we're just trying to figure it out. Um, yeah, we had to take a lot of our file systems down and people couldn't get access to data they needed to actually ship a product, put it that way. Um, so anyway, long story short, could ransomware happen? A absolutely, especially if these devices are based, uh, if they have 
some sort of file system or if they have some sort of um, legacy protocol where ransomware can replicate using the weaknesses in that in that protocol. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, SMB 3.0 and, and the, the weaknesses in SMB. I mean, this stuff dates back to when Mudge was building, you know, um, Loftcrack and working with Bruce on, you know, the NTLM papers. You know, this, this, I mean, a lot of these operating systems for backwards compatibility uh, reasons are, are still using these kind of outdated protocols. And, you know, out of the box, they might be disabled now, but maybe 10, 15 years ago, they weren't. And so if you had a device implanted and it happens to be susceptible to any of this stuff, yeah, I think you could be affected by it. Um, the good news is a lot of these devices, because the companies are so cheap and they don't want to license Windows, whatever, mm -hmm. they were kind of forced to go down a different path. And it's more security by obscurity, meaning, you know, it's 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 got a really kind of pared down Linux kernel or something. Like, yeah, kind of fit for purpose. But, mm -hmm. but again, now we're dealing with if it's Bluetooth accessible, if it's Wi-Fi accessible, if it's uh, some other, you know, was a wireless USB. I don't, I don't know. There's just, there's a ton of stuff out there. Yeah. Um, you know, can, can the attackers use that piggyback on that to cause a problem to brick it or to make it do something, you know, unexpected and actually harm the patient? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, it's what the industry calls, at least I, I think, cause I've kind of stepped away from that a little bit. I mean, when Microsoft did acquire CyberX and it kind of sucked me back in, but um, you know, it's the Brownfield problem. It's mm -hmm. you've got hundreds of thousands of devices out there. They're not getting updated, you know, um, because of 21 CFR part 11, you know, it takes, you know, it's a validated system and this, that, and the other, you, you can't just go in, all right, you know, I'm going to do a firmware upgrade like you do on your, you know, your BNO head headphones or something, you know. Uh, to get better sound out of it, you know, you're you're talking about somebody's life here. You can't just go ahead and do a firmware upgrade, right? Can you your hearts your heart's going to stop beating for a couple of minutes while we okay. do the update, <laughs> firmware update? So you know, hopefully it's over the air. Hopefully that's you know it's not too inconvenient for you. Um, no, that's just not going to happen. So you've got this problem. So it's like, well, can you air gap the damn thing? Can you pull a Dick Cheney and like? Make it inaccessible. Um, do you go back in? Do you pull it out of the heart and replace it? You know, I I don't know what the answer is. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty scary. Like when they came to the hospital to put me into an MRI and they wanted to interrogate the pacemaker, and they used this little device connected to a laptop and made me feel like my heart was out of sync. I was like, "Well, wait a minute, what are you doing? Like you're using your laptop." And my pacemaker's freaking the fuck out. Like, what is the deal here? And that's when I put two and two together. I was like, wait a minute. If she can do that with that laptop and that device, anybody can do it. All you need to do is learn the protocol. And I know with Medtronic, it's like a proprietary protocol, but it's still like, that, that's disheartening, you know? Oh, satellites have proprietary protocols and we've been yeah. working with satellites for years. Forever. It's yeah. like... <laughs> You know, what I, I love it when they, they're like, oh, no one will ever. They're like, don't even start a sentence yeah. with that. Don't. Proprietary is so easy to break because proprietary yeah. is very unique. So once you learn that protocol, it's over. 
anything's anything's vulnerable to a replay attack even if you know what the hell you're doing you just record it's it's the old red box you know you know Mm -hmm. i'm gonna replay a sound that sounds like i just deposited 25 cents um you know i think that was red box anyway um so it's it's basically the same thing um and and it really is scary so i'll I'll tell you something i'm probably talking out of school no names mentioned here but i was with a, a huge hospital system and we were doing kind of a like a three-day you know this is you know what microsoft can bring to the table around 0365 and ems and all that stuff and somebody took me aside and said i'm i'm not long for this company and i'm like well what's going on he goes yeah we've we've got a ton of equipment out there and it and it's um it's got ransomware on it i'm like what do you mean? He's like, the, the, the clinical equipment, it's got ransomware, they're redeploying it, we clean it, it gets reinfected constantly. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, right. And, uh, you know, basically, it's, you know, clinicians, this thing doesn't work, takes mm-hmm. it back to it, it cleans it, puts it back out there, and it just gets reinfected. So I was in the hospital with um, a foodborne illness, <laughs> uh, Vibrio, which is, you know, kind Ooh. of a cousin. Yeah, it's a cousin to uh, uh, cholera. Mm-hmm. Um, I picked it up in Newport Beach, California, eating raw, raw oysters with my boss. Yikes. And that put me in the hospital in May of 19. And I took a picture of, um, uh, it was, you know, like an, in, an infusion type of a device. And I'm like, God, I hope this thing doesn't have ransomware on it. And I, I guess somebody at one of the med device manufacturing companies, because of course it had the label, you know, and everything. I should have blurred that out, but I was in a hospital bed and I didn't have my tools with me. So I just posted it to LinkedIn. I'm like, God, I, I hope this doesn't kill me. And, and man, did I get, uh, did I get heat for that post? <laughs> and it, it's like, you know, once we can get over the fact that, yeah, mistakes have been made, mm-hmm. um, let's be transparent about what those mistakes are and let's try and fix the problem then maybe we can get serious about it. But, you know, all this posturing and all this, oh, you're going to affect our stock price and, oh, you know, you're ruining our reputation and our, you know, our clinicians are going to lose trust in our products. It's like, I, I look at it just, you know, differently. Like, you know, just tell me you screwed up like the NTSB, you know, and like, uh, uh, you know, Boeing has, has a 737 that goes down. Um, you know, there's a problem. Let's not, let's, let's ground the damn thing. Let's figure out what the problem is. Maybe let's stop making them or let's make a, an engineering change and let's then, you know, go back to it. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think, and I want to transition over to what Microsoft's been doing, but Microsoft's trying to be that way. And there are other companies too that are trying to be that way. Unfortunately, med device manufacturers, eh, I always like that. They're very traditional yeah. and they're very concerned about their reputation. I get it. Um, because there's competition out there and it only takes one, you know, small company to come out with a better product. That's a little less hackable, you know, mm-hmm. for, for folks to go, Oh, well, maybe we shouldn't be doing business with massive company X anymore. Let's, let's go with this other product. You know, the VA is really, I, I think they're really leading the charge around this and you wouldn't think the VA would be leading the charge on anything. Sorry, <laughs> VA. Um, but no, they're, they're very, their procurement department's very picky about, what they you know spend millions hundreds of millions of dollars on so they they test their devices and everything else before they you know get into their hospital system so they, that's kind of a bright light you know yeah. i just want to kind of put a you know you know put an emphasis on that yeah i remember uh, watching the video from i think it was the south pole maybe it was an expedition and one of the scientists got um, gravely ill and they had to do surgery 
via Da Vinci. I thought that was absolutely fucking amazing. But the thought that crossed my mind was, well, they're doing this over the internet. Hmm, I wonder what could happen if, you know, and that, that's the way my mind thinks. I, you know, I always look at these things from, you know, a malicious point of view. Um, but yeah, some of the stuff that's coming out is just absolutely amazing, uh, the technology. But like you said, you know, when it comes to medical, from what I've seen in doing assessments and audits and pen tests, is that as long as medical equipment functions and functions properly, then security is a kind of like a second thought. Like, well, now that we got things working, maybe we should look at it from a security standpoint instead of from the beginning, like a secure lifecycle development type deal, you know? Um, and that's the only thing that concerns me about medical. I was in hospital not too long ago um, and they have the systems that the nurses use in the room that takes the notation for the doctors and, and the notes and the clinical, clinical notes, whatever. Um, and they just left it unlocked in my room. And I thought, wow, you know, if I have access to that, I wonder if I can get to the patient's room next door, uh-huh. you know, yeah, and, by the way. Yeah. Because it's the same nurse, you know? So right. uh, things like that always slay me at, at hospitals. And the worst that I've seen, um, are the state funded hospitals that they have to get their pen test. Um, I can't count how many hospitals on the East coast, I won't name any names have completely failed um, pen tests and audits, of but still get the funding. Sure. Um, yeah. So it, it, that's scary too. It happens all the time. That was the thing that amazed me when I said, like when we began, when I began my soliloquies, um, I said, I got to look behind the curtain mm -hmm. and you know, the, the audit process is, is quite amazing because there could be kind of a material impact if it's a SOX audit, you know, mm -hmm. that's all about finances and but I mean, audits are pretty much the same across the board. They, they, they behave the same. Right. Um, audit auditors come in, they find efficiencies. There, some of them are critical deficiencies, and then they'll say, "Oh, you got 90 days to fix this," mm -hmm. and then they negotiate, negotiate with you know the folks that they're auditing. And sometimes the problems never get fixed. I know there's a big popular database out there. You know, just I think his name was March, uh, Mark Litchfield, too. Mm -hmm did all the, you know, the analysis of that particular database. And there were some pretty serious flaws in that database engine for years that went unpatched because quite frankly, the manufacturer of that database uh, would have to rebuild the entire thing from the ground up in order to patch this problem. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty serious because if you think about what that database is running, it's not just, you know, you talk about med devices, it's everything from cars to mm -hmm. airplanes, ask Chris Roberts, right? Yep. Um, to, uh, you know, the, the, the traffic systems, you know, I, I, can I turn all the lights green at the same time and cause absolute havoc? Can I, you know, the power grid, the, the you know, Columbia, you know, ask Columbia pipeline, you know, I'm not, or colonial pipeline, Columbia gas, who the hell knows what set all the houses on fire, you know, a couple of years ago in uh, Andover. Mm -hmm. um, you know, somebody said it was mechanical. I, I, I reached out to Brian Krebs. I'm like, did you think maybe it could have been a cybersecurity issue? Right. Um, who the hell? Nobody. Like the, the brownout in the East Coast after 9-11? Yeah. Oh, we be, all know what that was. Happened to be a squirrel in the transmission line. I used yeah. to work for the power company here in Texas um, for a Texas Mexico power company. And those systems have redundancies all over the place. So the idea of a squirrel shutting down the whole East Coast is bullshit. <laughs> well, remember when the lights went out at the Super Bowl? No. <laughs> In New Orleans, right? Hmm. Yeah. I'm sure I don't know anyone who was behind that. 
no, no <laughs> never never and by the way i grew up in northern new jersey so that i'll just i'll throw that out there yeah yeah what they play who the, who were they playing i know it was in the uh the uh the dome down in new orleans but i can't remember who they were were they playing, playing the pets i don't think so yeah who knows <laughs> it, it really doesn't matter but you know what if if it can be done it will be done right right i mean uh, everybody looks for that upper hand hackers uh, nfl players coaches pretty much everybody and the scary thing is these techniques are, oh, the sophisticated hacker. And I'm like, no. these are the same damn techniques that, you know, John Draper and uh, all these other folks were using, you know, Rosniak and the rest. We, you know, the, so, the combination of social engineering mm -hmm. and just learning about a system and the same steps that the attack chain or the kill chain uses. It's the, it's the same stuff that's going to bring down an airplane or bring down a power grid. It, this stuff is not... Yeah, it's, it's sophisticated in that you, you kind of need uh, a, a book of knowledge to kind of get started to at least understand, you know, how do I, how do I start an SSH session or right. how do I use Metasploit or how do I compile code or, I mean, there's some of that, right? How do I elevate my privileges or, but, uh, you know, a phishing attack is mainly social engineering. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's step one. Yeah. Um, once I got your username and password, and I, I don't even want to tell you how many of my customers don't use MFA, and we've been beating them around the head as much as possible. We don't want to call anybody's baby ugly, but we're like, come on, guys. I know F MS MFA is not a panacea. It's not going to solve the world's problems, but at least put that in front of it. And please don't use text messaging for <laughs> that, you know, because of SIM cloning and all that. You know, I mean, just do something. Yeah, you can get around it, sure. But it's a little more difficult, right? But I think it's something like 2% of our, our strategic customers mm. are actually using Azure MFA or a different type of MFA. And, you know, we don't care if it's Azure or not. So hell, go use whatever you want, you know, um, but use it, you know, please. Um, you know, because my dad's probably, you know, he's got, he's down in Florida and assisted living and he's probably on a, you know, he'll be on a ventilator when he gets COVID. And, you know, that rinky-dink hospital system down there better be using MFA because I don't want it to, like, you know, shut down his ventilator. Exactly. Exactly. So that brings up another good topic that I wanted to touch on is COVID. Um, so I've had it twice, uh, once in London, once in Texas, a year apart. Um, and I was riding by a protest today. Um, in Tennessee, they are trying to pass the mask mandate. Um, and these people were protesting on the streets, you know, Patriots Unite, you know, no mask mandate, let's all kill everybody, um, just all the Rabbit bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So it, with COVID, what I thought was really interesting, you know, when you look at how it broke out and you look at the medical advice behind COVID and look at the trajectory of where we're going with this virus, in my mind, we're forcing the mutation. Um, and by simply, you know, taking a percentage of the population with a vaccination that, that truly is not working, obviously, and dropping that in and saying, okay, well, these people are covered. You know, we're good. If we can get herd immunity, we should all be fine. But the problem is, is mutation based on DNA and proteins, right? And so it's going to mutate regardless. And so my, my question is, how do you see COVID evolving? And do you think the measures that we've put in place so far are actually going to protect us down the road? 
Oh, no, COVID's going to be with us for the long term. Uh, that's my feeling. Um, and by the way, I, was, I, I, I don't think I was patient zero, but I was up there. Me too. Um, January, the very last Friday in January, mm -hmm. 106 degree fever after work. I had just gotten back from Mayo Clinic. I got back from them. I had been up there visiting them in Rochester, Minnesota, again, Minnesota. Um, and maybe I picked it up on the airplane or in one of those bathroom airports where there are no toilet covers. Yeah. Because every time somebody flushes a toilet, guess what you're breathing in? Yeah, COVID. <laughs> yeah, COVID plus, plus, plus. Mm. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, it's the last week of January, first week of February. And I remember I had double pneumonia. Uh, I, you know, the, the high fevers were giving me seizures. Me too. It, it was just, it was just freaking awful. And yeah, you know, I went to urgent care and they're like, well, we, we did a flu test, but you're coming back negative for flu. And I'm like, yeah, because I don't have the flu. I have that friggin' new thing. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So I, I just think it's going to be, it's going to be with us for a long, long time. We, unfortunately, because we politicized it, right. I say we, it's a small number of people, but it got politicized. Whereas, you know, the, the classics like polio and, diphtheria and you know all these others that we've had you know vaccines for for years and years and years were never politicized you know when you know i talked to i have older parents my mom's passed but my father's still around mm -hmm. so my my you know sisters are older much older than i am and i was kind of a you know i was a i was a happy accident um, in my family so i get the pers perspective of boomers and you know british generation who were like yeah once the polio vaccine came out. We were lining up around the corner. Nobody wanted to be in an iron lung. Nobody wanted right. to end up like FDR, you know, in a wheelchair and pretending he could walk, that kind of thing. Like that, that sucked, yeah. you know? And now it's, oh, you know, COVID's a liberal hoax. It's like, what the hell is going on? And I think because of that, that mindset, you know, and that mindset doesn't just exist in one segment of the population. You go country to country and they have different reasons, unless the country is making it very difficult for citizens to live a normal life until they get vaccinated, which, you know, I, I came back from Prague and I was, I was um, asking folks in, in Prague in the Czech Republic, like, how do you get all your folks vaccinated? And they're like, well, pretty much Europe wide, you can't do jack unless mm. you're vaccinated. Yeah. You can't even go grocery shopping. I'm like, oh, you know, it's, and I kind of made a joke on Facebook um, the other day. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start my own country, and you know, our our protocols around COVID are gonna be either get the vaccine, or if you don't get the vaccine, Mike Tyson punches you in the face until you decide to get the vaccine. Sweet. I mean, those, those are the only those are the only two options. Um, and I'm not saying that the vaccine's gonna work for everybody. We know that there, there, there's gonna be breakthroughs. And you're gonna have some of us are gonna have to get that third shot, but. And then you're going to have variants mm -hmm. uh, ultimately because we're allowing it to, to mutate. It's called evolution, folks. Sorry, <laughs> it's something that really happens. Um, <laughs> and and that's mutations are the, the uh, basically evolution in action. You're watching it. Yeah. Um, you know, and as far back as my college days, when we'd stick something in a petri dish or play with the Drosophila, mm -hmm. the fruit fly, you know, and play with its genetics, you know we could demonstrate evolution right there in a dish or right there in a box. Um, and that's what's going on now with COVID. What, you know, what are the solutions? The solutions are, we got to get people, people have to get vaccinated, continue to wear a mask, continue to social distance. Now the Florida Gators are out there, you know, you know, go, go Gators and screw this. It's my freedom. And all right, well, you know, I think we're going to end up that, that, 
point of view is going to knock out probably the majority of people who feel that way and mm. and then some unfortunately yeah. you know people who, who did all the right things and got COVID anyway um and i think it's going to be just like hiv it's and and hepatitis and herpes it's going to be with us for a long long time yeah yeah so so i was i've been given like mixed instructions when it comes to covid and it, to me it's kind of like a, a personal decision um but with a blood clotting, you know, genetic issue that I have, plus the pacemaker and the, the thought of having pericarditis and, and stuff like that, I've been really weary on getting the vaccine simply because of the underlying conditions and are introducing the, the, the live virus back into my system. You know, I, I survived the first two bouts of COVID. And in the US, when I had it in Dallas or in Houston, it wasn't that severe. Yes, it sent me into seizures. I had to go into the ICU for 10 days. Uh, but the first time I had it, so when I was younger, like really young, I was one of the first cases in the US of Kawasaki disease. And when I had it in London, when I had COVID in London, I had the same reaction, inflammatory response. I ended up getting the shingles, like super bad like everything just went to hell in a handbasket. And I was like, okay, this virus is for real. Like that shit, that does not happen on a normal basis. Like this is bad shit. Um, and if I could get a, a vaccine that I knew was gonna cover all the strains and I knew wouldn't cause, you know, the, the inflammation response, um, you know, there's thought that I may have lupus as well. And it's like, you know, do I really wanna play with that, you know, Russian roulette game? Um, but, you know, you take in, in, in consideration, right? So you have, you know, take the shot, maybe have some side effects, possibly some really detrimental side effects or get COVID and potentially die. You know, yeah. it, it's like, which one's better? You know, and I'm still trying to weigh that, that possibility out. I'm still getting over, you know, some stuff. And it's like, well, know, this is where, this is where we get philosophical, right? Yeah. This is where it goes beyond us. I mean, Judaism, we have uh, Tikkun um, me and Tikkun Malam, right? Mm -hmm. One is um, help everyone and help yourself. The Atzmi is the yourself first. Yeah. It's, and, and it all goes back to, and I'm not, try, I'm not trying to be preachy or religious or anything. This is just, this is just human stuff. Mm -hmm. It all goes back to when they say on an airplane, put your oxygen mask on before assisting others. Right. Guess mm -hmm. what? If you, if you can't do that, you're not assisting anybody else. You're dead. Yeah. And my feeling is, with all the risks with the vaccine, and believe me, I got, I got, and I'll say it, I got the Pfizer and I got both. Every single shot kicked my ass. Really? For these three days. Yeah, I was a mess. You know, ask anybody who knows me. I, I didn't show up for work for three days. You know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get out of bed. You know, I had the fevers again. Oh. It was the same thing all, all over again. I started getting chest, but and then, it, then it, I got over it, you know, because mm -hmm. I knew I had lost the antibodies back in February of 20 because, um, no, it wasn't February 20, February of 2021, because I was, I was doing the whole um, convalescent plasma deal with the Red Cross. And then they sent me a letter and they're like, hey, you're out of antibodies. Uh, so we don't need that anymore. But you could still donate whole blood if you want. <laughs> so I was like, oh, all right. So and then that's why I was like kind of racing to get the shot when it was available for folks under 65. Um, and, and, you know, it's, you know, playing my roulette of trying to get to the vaccine. But I, I knew that even, even if it, it killed me, right, and which I didn't think it would, but even if it caused all kinds of problems, I'm not just getting the vaccine for me. For everybody I'm else. The vaccine for everybody else. Right. Right. I'm, I'm getting it for you know, my friends, 
father who's you know has got pre-existing conditions and you know i want i want to i want to go with my friend over to see you know her dad um i want to i want to be able to visit my dad i want to be able to be around newborn newborn kids you know uh, friends of mine are having kids you know i don't i don't and i know the spike protein issues i i read all the you know there are real scientists out there saying you know there are problems with this vaccine guess what there are problems with every vaccine yes. i just got the shingles vaccine on i wish i would have had that by the way it's miserable <laughs> yeah. i just got the shingles vaccine on on wednesday but i asked for it mm -hmm. um and that's more selfish because i i had seen one of my bosses go through shingles <sighs> and it went into his eye and it it basically wow. blind in his left eye right. and i'm like oh forget it you know let's just give me give me the damn vaccine i'll just deal with the side effects but i think when it comes to covid it's you're you're doing a little bit of the you know of taking care of yourself mm -hmm. but you're also doing a lot of taking care of other people right. uh, and and to me from my philosophical perspective that mean that means a lot and that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons i'm i'm very transparent about you know, people tell me to stop talking for a multitude of reasons. You know, first of all, I'm boring them. Secondly, it, you know, I'm scaring the shit out of them when I talk about, you know, problems with medical devices and problems with airplanes and problems with cars and traffic systems. And but they need to know that stuff. They need, but they need to know that stuff, right? right. So Cy Sims, if anybody grew up in New York, you remember those commercials. An educated consumer is our best customer. Yes. And I never knew what the hell he was talking about, right? And then I started thinking about it and I'm like, Oh, it's, it's informed consent. That's basically what he's talking about. He's like, now I get to, you know, I, I, I need to know all the facts before I make a decision. Right. And, and that's what I like about transparency. And that, and that's why I keep talking and, you know, it might affect my wallet sometimes. God, I hope I don't get sued. Um, you know, talking out of school about any particular thing. Uh, but people need to know so they can make an informed decision. And that, that goes hand in hand with, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get vaxxed, I'm getting vaxxed not just for me. I'm getting vaxxed for everybody else, or I'm getting vaxxed for those who can. Um, because the more of us who get vaxxed, I mean, just science shows, history shows, slows the spread. Slows the spread, right? It increases herd immunity. So, yeah, I just you know with with my health issues, I, I'm not sure if that would be. I'm timid about getting it. I had thought about it several times in the past couple of weeks. That you know when I get over this you know, second bout is like, you know, sh should I go and, and try to do it? But, you know, I'm still, I'm still tossed out around. But I think one thing that we've done as a, as a civilization and as a country is we've politicized it. And I think that is the biggest issue. Not only that, but when you get the missed, you know, mixed directions from, you know, the World Health Organization and from political parties and, and do we mask, do we don't mask, do we vax, do we don't vax, and we've created division, once you get politics involved, common sense goes out the fucking window. You know, and it, it, we all become swampers in DC and, and we all have our own political agenda. And it's like, this is not a political issue. This is a evolution issue. This is a humankind issue. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, when I saw those protesters today, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? There's more things to protest about that are more important. Let's say, I don't know, maybe our people left in Afghanistan might be a good yes. place to start. Yes. You know, let, let's forget well, about the military mass. spending versus spending on health and human services. Don't get me started. Exactly. You know, so when, when I was in the military in 1992, I had, you know, the anthrax vaccination and we had to wear gas masks. I did not complain about a gas mask at all 
because the last thing I want to do is get VX, you know? So yeah. right. you know, people, people take these things and they, they run rampant with it. And the conspiracy theories are out the freaking window. Um, it's just stressful, you know, and they create the stress. Well, I, I say, I say to these people, I use try, you know, I try and use common arguments and maybe my arguments aren't all that solid. I'm not an attorney. Um, I did take the LSATs done. It, it did pretty well, but I nice. could never, I, I, I got into med, uh, to law school, but I couldn't go because I was working for Accenture at the time and I was flying every, you know, it was supposed to be Monday, Wednesday, Friday nights and I couldn't do it. Yeah. So I was like, ah, forget it. You know, anyway, so my argument is, are you going to, um, you know, walk around naked? Well, yeah. Well, you know, it's why, why do you do not do you wear clothes because it's against the law to walk around naked or do you wear clothes because it's kind of the right thing to do? <laughs> you know, it's just like nobody wants to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just, and it's the same thing. It's like, would you blow through a stop street because, uh, you know, it's the right thing. It's, it's the wrong, you know, I mean, like you don't care or do you blow through or do you stop at a stop line? I, sh- I said it wrong. Do you stop at a stop street because it's the right thing to do? Do you stop? Right. Do you know you're going to get a ticket if you don't? And, and my feeling is it's like, you know, start to use logic around this stuff. It's, right. I try and convince people to get a, um, to get a vaccination. And it, and it's, um, um, I was listening to Howard Stern since the 80s when he, oh, yeah. when he was terrible. You know, he, he really was. He was like a four-year-old, you know, like, uh, but, but uh, again, I was young, you know, so I, I, I could totally relate, but he's kind of matured, right? So I was listening to him about, I don't know, three or four months ago, right around the time the, um, the Pfizer vaccine became available and J&J became available and, you know, uh, uh, Moderna. And one of his staffers, the mother, absolutely refused to get the vaccine. She believes in all the conspiracy theories and everything else. So he's like, get her on the phone. I want to talk to her. And all the logic he was using. And I was like, man, I wish everybody could hear this. Because, I mean, he's a very logical individual. He's not a dumb guy. No, no. And, you know, and I was, I was just like, yeah, this is, this is totally true. Even if it causes you problems, right? It's it's the right thing to do. Um, that's, that's as far as I can take it. And, and, you know, it's going to, the vaccine over time is going to get better. It's just like any crappy first version of an operating system or crappy first version of a, uh, you know, uh, an iPhone or, or, or an Android device, you know, it, it evolves over time and it gets better. It gets more effective. It gets safer. Um, so, and it's, they're continuously developing these things. They're not, you know, sitting back and saying, well, you know, that first, the first version was the best. Yeah. So here's the big question with all the big tech and machine learning and AI, why are we not taking some of these supercomputers and crunching the data and the analysis of the virus itself and looking at possible mutations and creating vaccines based on those potential mutations? Yeah, I don't know if they're doing specifically that, but I got to tell you, a lot of the R and D is happening in the cloud with the massive. It's so here's here's the thing with the cloud. This is this is the reason I like. I'm, a lot of folks are very anti-cloud. They're like, shit, man. If I can't hold it in my hand, I, I don't have control over it. Possession is nine tenths of the law, and and there is a little bit of truth to that. But here's the reason I I love the cloud so much, um, and I'm waiting for the singularity. I'm kidding, folks. Um, <laughs> It's because it, it's not because the algorithms didn't exist before. 
Right. It's because now we have these massive amounts of data that we can actually store. We don't yeah. have to come back to EMC and spend another $100,000 and take up half of our data center with these SANs anymore. It's, yeah, allocate me another how many petabytes of data um, in, you know, a bucket somewhere or, you know, Azure Blob Storage or wherever, where the hell you want it. Um, and there's really kind of unlimited access to that, that amount of data um, but, and the machine learning algorithms have been around since, I don't know, the 70s and the 80s, you know, yeah. the mathematicians have had them around. So is this research being done? Yeah, there is some research being done that way. I mean, AI is, is more prevalent than you'd think, and quantum is only going to make it better. Right. Um, you know, then we have another problem to deal with quantum resistant encryption, but let's not even go there because it's yeah. a separate <laughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> but the, yeah, yeah, I, they're, they're pretty much, they're, you know, there, you know, some of the companies are using it. Um, I would say the other ones are just, you know, they're old fashioned pharmaceutical companies that, and pharma is not the only thing they do, right? Some of them do bandages and, and, uh, Stop market. and, and shampoos <laughs> and, you know, so it's, <laughs> they're kind of highly diversified. So they're not, they're not investing everything they have in this one thing, but yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Um, it, so it, yeah. So, so SETI at home used to be a project that I used to, you know, love yeah. when I was a kid. I used to love SETI at home. So here's a question I want to pose to you. What if they took that same model of SETI at home, took the virus and its different variants and let people distribute computing and actually look for places of potential mutation? Can you imagine how fast that would get done with everybody, you know, being part of that program? with the computers we have now, as opposed to the 386 that we had back then, like that would be insane. No, you know, you know, people are just going to go, Oh, my computer's slow, you know, those, <laughs> you know, and they forget that they're running this agent underneath. It's one of my, my biggest complaints about security software is that, you know, your IT department throws all this crap on your computer and slow becomes the new broken. Right. And I'm using a Mark Simos term now. Um, you know, creds to Mark for that uh, quote, but um, it's, you know, yeah, I think it would be great, but they could do the same thing in the cloud. And, and now with virtual, virtual desktop, VDI, whatever, you know, you could, you could create infinity number of, of processors to work on this stuff simultaneously uh, and, and, and not to affect the user experience. Yeah, it's totally possible. Absolutely possible. Um, we're chasing, we, most, most corporate, you know, corporations are in business to make money. Absolutely. Um, and that's why I think you compare the numbers, you, you look at how many people died in 9-11, and then you look at how many people died with COVID. You think we'd be more outraged at this point. Yeah. But, you know, if, if you follow the money, 9-11 was an opportunity for the military industrial complex to go nuts. 100%. Let's go after this guy. Let's go after that guy. Meanwhile, all the hijackers are from Saudi. Right. You know? um, and, and, you know, we can all watch the documentaries because we're coming up to the anniversary, you know, so you draw your own conclusions. But how much money is in COVID? Actually, COVID hurt us and it hurt the healthcare industry big time. Because it hurt the whole economy. Now I can't do, as a surgeon, I can't do my, you know, my tummy tucks and my chin lifts and because, you know, there are too many people in the ICU and I, I have to shut down. I have a friend who's a bariatric surgeon mm -hmm. who does, you know, he does sleeve surgery like in his sleep. But sleeve surgery, by the way, it's 
when they basically take the stomach and they turn it into an esophagus. They make it that small. Um, and so they reduce the size of your stomach about uh, two thirds. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then it, the theory is you know, there's less surface yes. area, less, less hungry, you know, whatever. But he, his, his entire practice shut down, shut down. I mean, this guy, he was banking money. It was like, but COVID took it away because, you know, the hospital, he was doing all the surgeries. So we were like, no, we're not taking those cases. We're not letting your people in here. You know, we're getting inundated with, you know, people dying of COVID and we can't take it. And, and, you know, you got these beds that are full and everything else. And the insurance companies aren't making the money they used to make. You know, they're paying out like crazy. Life insurance is paying out like crazy. Um, and it hit us economically. That, you know. Global, it, globally, too. Yeah. The, the world economy really went down. And to, to be frank, like, as soon as the lockdown started, cybercrime went through the roof. Because people yeah. no longer had an outlet to make money. So these organized crime groups went to the internet and said, fuck it, we're going to join with the hackers and, and make some cash. Let's attack the modern workplace, right? Because yep. everybody's working from home. Mm -hmm. And we and we know most of them are still VPN and back in. And when they're not VPN and back in, they're not protected. Because they nothing, nothing, you know, no one's... I don't, know, I don't like absolutes, but a lot of them aren't doing zero trust. Right. A lot of them aren't doing MFA. Plus you, you, know? have, you, you have mixed uh, environments where now not only your employee is connecting, but your employee's kid, your employee's wife, your employee's grandma, all on the same network. All on the same yeah. network. Yeah. And, and at, the, at the same time, you've got uh, healthcare systems that are absolutely desperate to stay up and running. Yeah. And when they get hit with ransomware, they're like, screw it, pay it. I just, we don't have time for this shit. Just yeah. pay it and let's, let's keep going. Yeah. Um, and now it's human operated where, you know, once, first of all, they have your data. They've always had your data because, you know, they're ransoming it. They have access to it. Possession again is right. not sense of the law. So might as well ransom it and sell it on the black market. You know, why not? And they do. <laughs> and, and they also do re, uh, re-compromise. So I just went through a ransomware event with a radiological company. Um, that provided, you know, x-rays to doctors and hospitals. And, you know, literally that when you get hit with ransomware at a place like that, you're putting people's lives at risk, you know? And so their main concern was getting their shit back up. So my, my idea, the real apocalypse for humans, not for the earth, the earth right. is fine. The earth, no matter how much climate change we do, the, the, the earth itself will figure itself out. We're right. the ones who are going to die off. That, right. that, it's not save the earth, it's save the humans. Um, but my, my, the ultimate bad day, I think it's when you, when you wake up, you don't have electricity, you don't have internet access. Okay. So now you might not have water and you might not be able to have hot water, um, depending on, you know, what utilities you're hooked into. So you can't flush the toilet. You, you, you can't take a shower. Okay. Those are inconveniences. Guess what? You can't go to an ATM and pull cash. Right. And people stopped taking cash, you know, um, and they did during, during the pandemic, they quit taking cash coin shortages, mm -hmm. but what can they take? Because now, you know, the, the, the PCI systems are off, you know, all the, all the credit card systems are offline. The payment card industry is in the toilet because, you know, they're hit with ransomware. Um, there's no, there's no heat or heat coming in because, you know, your gas lines are not working anymore. Um, the, the oil delivery trucks can't get to your house. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the billing systems are offline. So that's what happened with Colonial. It wasn't 
mainly their infrastructure is mostly the ticketing paid. system. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not going to, they're not going to distribute anything if they're not going to get paid for it. Um, you know, that's a bad, that's the worst case scenario. That's the bad day. And I think at this point, you know, prove me wrong. Fine. I don't care. But I think all the big nation states, we all have kill switches on everybody. They have kill switches on us and we've got kill switches on them. The problem with capitalism, though, is that most of the power is held by by private industry mm -hmm. and that a lot can't be mandated. Right. I can't mandate you to have a good cybersecurity program good cyber hygiene, good, you know, mandate the use of MFA, mandate the use of zero trust, mandate the use of modern operating systems in your environment. It's very difficult for me to do that because we're, we're living in a free market, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to invest in cybersecurity, go on with your bad self. That's great. Thank you for doing it, by the way. But you can't trust that all your suppliers are doing it. You can't trust that, you know, I got and I'm, I'm in my apartment right now. I'm, you know, I'm subservient to my landlord, mm -hmm. to Eversource, to National Grid for my gas, Eversource for my electricity, uh, Verizon for my, my Wi-Fi, um, you know, my connection to the internet. I mean, what am I going to do as a private citizen if they're not doing what they should be doing? Right. And I wake up tomorrow morning and all that stuff's not available today. What and am even, I going to Even if we go to a mandate, a government mandate, are we really going to trust that? Because the government can't keep their shit together, you know, and can't agree with each other. So am I going to trust them to keep me safe? I've got one word, Chernobyl. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so my, my theory is if you look at the attacks over the past, I don't know, five or six years, and you look at how we've been attacked in the U.S., the, you know, we've had water treatment facilities attacked. We've had a grid attacked. We've had hospitals attacked. You know, it's only a matter of time before we have another 9-11, but I think the next 9-11 we're going to have is a digital 9-11. Oh, yeah. And that, that's, it's, 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 it's going to happen. It, you know, we're, we're looking, we're staring at it, you know, in the face. It's about to happen. What is it, the DRPK, or I don't even know what their initials are, North yeah. Korea, what, what they did to Sony? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Talk about, you know, ripping off their neck and doing, you know, what down their throat. I mean... Yeah everything they could do they they did and that's just kind of a case study for what they can do to the entire nation yeah exactly you know, I, I mean i'm embarrassing emails who cares uh you know uh, whatever the, th the, thir the thirty thousand emails from hillary clinton that disappeared are nothing compared to what we're nothing. about to go through <laughs> yeah it's nothing it's when you when you know you walk down to your stop and shop or your lion or your what do they have out west safeway or whatever and, and you, you know, it's closed. You, right. you can't buy food. <laughs> well, you, your, your water's not working. You can't get potable water. I mean, that's the problem. Look, I mean, at the, look at the first days of the pandemic when people went into the stores and drained the stores of toilet paper. I've had COVID twice. I didn't really need that mass amount of toilet paper. But, you know, I guess in some people's mind, you know, that was the most important thing to get. Yeah. But that, that panic and we can't depend on the government to give us the right direction because all through the pandemic, and even in cybersecurity, we're led different routes from the government. And it's like, can you agree on just one topic, just one, to help us function as humans and keep the society going? But I think you know we've seen the, the we've seen the uh, the political like uh, decay in D.C. and I think that was pretty prevalent on January sixth. And when you look at 
the disagreements between federal government and state government when it comes to the mask mandate in schools and even cybersecurity and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Um, it all kind of ties together. It's like, who do you believe? And I think the problem is we've depended on the government for so long to make all of our decisions that it's time that we pull back and say, hey, look, let's look at the facts, right? Let's throw out the political point of view. Let's throw out the bullshit. And from a personal standpoint, put our blinders on, get the fuck off of social media and take a look at real hard science and figure out what we need to do as an individual, as a family. And That's go that a lot route. to ask. Yeah. That's a lot to ask. First of all, I mean, just look at, look at the Kirkestad uh, or however you pronounce that video on, on how the immune system works. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it took me years of study to, to just understand what was known up until that time. Right. And we're discovering more about the immune system every freaking day. Yeah. You know, you're going to try and explain science to your average everyday person and have them believe it. I mean, if you've got people believing that there are people out there killing babies and drinking their blood for adrenochrome, I, I, <laughs> we're screwed. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I was, I was walking my dog this morning. And I was down walking around a pond that's near my house. Very beautiful walk. Mm-hmm. Twice I heard two things. The first thing I heard was one woman saying to another woman, um, you, "You know, there's HIV. There's HIV in the vaccine, in the COVID vaccine, right?" And I passed that, and I was like, "Oh my, oh my god! Oh my god!" You know, these are regular suburbanite housewives, right? right? And then the next thing I heard on my way out of the trail that I was working on, two women talking again, a little older. You know, Linda didn't get the vaccine, and she got COVID again. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And, and we're going to try and describe the immune system to these people. We're going to try and describe, uh, they don't believe in evolution. Um, you know, there's, there, they have a lot of really wacky religious and personal beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only made worse by the confirmation bias that they're getting on social media. Um, yeah, it's great to make fun of it all, but it's really friggin' scary. Scary, yeah. When you look at when you look at Facebook, right? And most people make their decisions based on the popular commentary on Facebook of all places, you know. And then they turn on the TV, and you either have Fox News, who's conservative, or you have CNN, which is a Clinton news network. So where where do you get your real news, you know? And for for me, growing up in a medical family, both my mom, she was a heart transplant coordinator. My brother, you know, he was a CT supervisor. Um, And I was pre-med when I was in college. It was like growing up around that, you kind of get to think for yourself. And then when I had Graves' disease, I learned how the immune system worked and how my thyroid was just getting attacked. But you go through those things and you pay attention, you listen to what they're saying and you take you know, survey and, and look at what the doctors are saying and, you know, going through the genetic heart disorder and all that stuff. It's like, okay, I understand health and I understand how the body works. Computer networks are the same way. They might as well be a biological network, you know, but people, regular people don't see that shit. And they look at their friends and they're going, okay, I can go to target today with the mask. I can go to Starbucks. I'm good, but they don't take in consideration the details. You know, it's like they don't they they don't want to learn. They don't want to see it. They they don't want to see the negativity, but that's what's killing us. Is people who 
blind themselves to that shit. It's it's witches, Mike. I, I live 20 minutes south of Salem, Massachusetts. It's witch- oh, Jesus. It's all witchcraft. Yeah. I think we should basically burn them all. Yeah, I'm down for that. Nobody was burnt during the witch trials, by the way. Somebody was crushed to death and drowned. You know, Corey Giles, Corey, I think his name, mm-hmm. and and the rest of them were hung. But yeah. my well, in Europe, I'm sure people were burned at the stake. But uh, yeah. and and of course, lynchings here in America, which is people forget and seem to not acknowledge that people were burned to death during lynchings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but here's here's the problem: it's your average person either doesn't understand it. Mm-hmm. has no capacity to understand it, doesn't want to understand it, has some pre-existing mental illness where conspiracy theories seem a lot more logical than what's right in front of them. Right. Um, and, and when you get a leader who, like any tyrant, wants a common enemy, an enemy of the people that I'm with you guys, right? Watch <laughs> how to become a tyrant on Netflix. It's as, he, as he looks at his watch. Right. <laughs> And, and, you know, these, these tyrants, um, they take advantage of it. You know, that, that's your enemy over there. Science is your enemy. Right. Fauci is your enemy. Uh, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it, it's, I, I don't, I don't, there's, no, there's no real solution to this. We can point it out. Mm-hmm. It's just be the best person you can be and hunker down and pray to God that, or pray to whatever. It doesn't have to be God. You can pray to whatever you want or don't pray that these bad things aren't going to happen because people are more ignorant than they've ever been before. You know, there was that moral arc and we got to a point, I don't know if it was like in the 90s or whatever, where, you know, science was actually believed most of it anyway. We trusted in the government. Mm-hmm. There were different things. And then all of a sudden everything went to shit after 9-11. It was like <laughs> that 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 was the tipping point. So I read this book called The Tipping Point, right? Great book, by the way. Um, but so 9-11, I think we had conspiracy theorists, but back then they were wild conspiracies, right? Just shit that you would not believe. But when 9-11 hit, I think a lot of people started turning and looking at the government that they at one point trusted and realized, hey, wait a minute, maybe they don't have our best interests in mind. And you start looking at the details and the data. But the problem is with, you know, with with politics, with with uh, any kind of uh, mass casualty type situation, you're going to have that conspiracy theory because there's a lot of government fucking cover up. We've had cover up since. JFK. JFK was the first incident of, oh shit, you know, there's something going on here, but nobody's telling us. Echelon, Tuskegee, I mean, on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's bad. Um, We should be able to trust our own government. Um, But it all goes back to data, right? So, you know, when you look at the data that that we're losing, that we're leaking on a daily basis, and you look at who's leaking that data, you have big, big you know, computer companies, big giant tech companies that are leaking our data left and right. We have big giant tech companies that we trust that these crazy witches trust like Facebook who are allowing Taliban to be on Facebook, but not allowing conservatives or people with conservative voice to voice their opinion, right? So we're getting politics involved in a lot of areas in our life where we shouldn't, right? So even like the, the vaccine, politics are involved. You know, anti-vaxxers, oh, they must be conservatives. Um, you know, it, there's just all kinds of politics. Oh, they're just crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that too. But you, you, you have that sense of government has spread too far and they've spread into our digital lives. They spread into our personal and, and health-wise. Health 
you know, there's a problem there. And it's, it's a systemic problem and it's a rampant problem. Um, you know, when I was over in Europe and I was living over there for a couple of years in London, um, I was working for a company that was a tokenization company. And their whole point was to privatize data, right? And tokenize data so that we could protect our children. Um, but the problem is, is that, you know, when you create a company like that, or when you create an encryption level that the government doesn't have, um, that creates fear, which then you get more laws like the Patriot Act and stuff like that flying freely, and it destroys the trust in the government. And I think at some point, you know, reading Cryptonomicon and, and reading some other books and, and really looking at the industry as a whole, there's got to be a point where we as an industry kick politics out and say, fuck you, stay in DC. Let us do the important shit. Let us do the data. Let us protect people. You worry about politics. We don't give a shit about that. You guys fight, I don't care. But let us control our own data. Let us control our own health records. And not because you said we have to, but because we want to as an industry. So I, I think that day is coming. I think I think it's, it's probably far off in the future, but eventually people are gonna wake up and realize that half the data leaks are because of the government. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Right. <laughs> um, first of all, common sense. I, I think it all goes back to that, you know, or Occam's razor mm -hmm. uh, or the 80-20 rule or whatever you want to call it, right? right. Um, I think people have kind of lost sight of those, you know, just those basics. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's tough because we've been lied to for so long. You immediately go, and the other thing is the brain, the human brain's propensity to, to prioritize negative thought. It, it, you know, a lot of it starts with us. Right. Um, we were engineered to prioritize negative thought. Why? Because we were in caves and shit was trying to kill us, right? right. So we're not going to remember the, the great times when we were able to get that deer and, you know, and feed our family. We're going to remember the time where right from that, 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 that scary, <laughs> scary animal tried to kill us. And that's what we're going to focus on. And guess what? We've brought that into the modern era. Right. So we're, you know, we've got the paranoia, we've got the child, childhood trauma, everything sticks with us. You know, we've got the fight against the ego and all that. And I, and I think until we can, we start to fix ourselves mm -hmm. and, try and I, I know that's a that's a tall order all this other stuff is not going to be fixed we we had a great example of a really flawed person mm -hmm. as president of the united states he was like personally flawed um not just not educated not just i mean he was mentally ill i mean he made a statement that said he hadn't fundamentally changed since he was six years old <laughs> So you're basically dealing with, it's like somebody let a chimpanzee run the country for four years. And it's not a personal attack. It's right. just like, you know, and they're all flawed. I'm not saying that all the presidents were great, you know, all these like Biden's great or whatever, but I, I, I think when you have these tyrants, when you have these folks in the government, whether they're in Congress, whether they're in, you know, in the Senate, wherever they are, um, House, whatever, or, or overseas, you know, what are, are they functional people and are they going to be able to make rational decisions on our behalf? And can we influence them more greatly than the almighty dollar? Um, and that's, that's really what we're up against. We're up against big companies lobbying to get these folks to do what they want. We're up against 
pre-existing mental health issues with these folks that get elected. Look, it doesn't need, you don't need to be a, an attorney to get elected, right? right? You know, there is no competency exam you have to pass. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. I mean, look at, look at the, the folks that get elected. A lot of them are pretty nutty. Yeah. Um, you know, they're wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the only way we're going to get out of this problem is to really fix ourselves right. and, and, and help each other fix ourselves. Um, and again, that's, that's a tall order. It's a lot to unpack, but, but, you know, once, once we get back to that and there could be some catastrophic events in human history, not so much world history, because that's going to continue, you know, the earth is going to continue to have volcanoes and earthquakes, right. hurricanes and all that crap. This, you know, the sun's going to slowly die out. We get that right. Human race isn't going to last forever. But I think there are going to be kind of some, some tipping points that are even more catastrophic than 9-11 that are going to make us, you know, sit back. I know COVID was one of those things. Mm -hmm. Sit back and really take stock and go, what the hell does this all mean? Right. You know, who am I? What am I? What am I about? What do I represent? Am I doing the right thing? Do I really live the golden rule? Mm -hmm. um, am I doing it for the money? Am I doing it for the ego? uh to be recognized or am i really doing it to make the world a better place not the world but people make right. people more comfortable uh make people uh suffer less right that that's really i think that's the way we actually have to start thinking i know i sound like gandhi um or some of these others but but it's true but that's really where it's got to start it's got to right. start internally i i know I've, you know at my age i've gone through a lot right yeah. and i look back on my life and i'm like why did i do that right. what was that all about you know what where did that come from and why did i get all worked up about something like that and me, me you know i i'll admit it uh, you know for many many years i was I was very angry about, you know, the liberal media and, the, you know, I listened to Rush Limbaugh and all that stuff. And like mm -hmm. I, somewhere around, somewhere around 2003, 2004, right around the time my mom died, um, it dawned on me that I was programmed and that mm -hmm. I, need, I needed to really start to take a look at my programming and try and figure it out. Why am I so angry? Why am I so reactionary? Why do I have this weird belief system? Um, and, and since that time and my own personal growth, life has gotten a lot easier for me. Right. Um, and, and I'm able to kind of pull back the veil and realize that everybody's flawed. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got a ton of baggage, right? Everybody's having a bad day. The ego takes a huge role in everything we're doing, right? Um, when we get behind the wheel of a car, we feel invincible. We, you know, everybody's against us. Um, and, and these are the types of things we have to examine internally, I think, before these things are going to change externally. Yeah. So, so my change in thought happened when I got into cybersecurity, right? So I was looking at these different companies and being a pen tester and looking at, you know, different companies and the different levels of security and, and different levels of confidence. I realized that everybody's flawed. We're fighting the same game. But here's the difference, right? So when you have company A that gets compromised, they don't want to tell company B, even though that sharing of information may help them, they hoard it. And that's that's the the you know survival instinct is oh, we can't let them know because now we know. Um, yeah, and I think that you know, nature is the same way. I think that humans are slowly stopping the evolution of our species 
but what people don't understand is, you know, microbes, bacterias, um, viruses, those things are evolving quite quickly. Um, and we create that environment by adding more people to the equation. Um, you know, when you look at the European countries that got COVID, it really ate them up because of the high population and closeness in, in, in residency, right? Um, but with cybersecurity, it's like, and this is the way I've always looked at it. I've always had a medical mind because I've gone through so much medically that I spent most of my time in the hospital. And I realized that with computer networks, it's just a human body, but mechanically, right? In little plastic shells, you know, you have your nervous system, you, you know, you have your heart that keeps everything going. You, you have your arteries, which are the ethernet cables and, you know, traffic and that's your blood. Um, but it gave me a unique perspective of, yeah. So when company A gets compromised, they need help. They need help to revive themselves. Yeah. Um, but like you said, nobody wants to admit their baby's ugly, so they don't want to admit their compromises and they don't want to admit, you know, that their immune systems broke the fuck down. And I think eventually, I think you're right. I think we're going to face a world event that's going to make everybody look at themselves as humans and not as Americans, not as Republicans or not as Chinese. How, how nice would that be? But I think that's coming. And I, I pray that it's coming because I've wanted this since I was a kid. Um, the little tiny release of information of, wait, we've seen these objects off the West Coast that nobody can fucking describe. <laughs> I'm praying the ET comes down and sets shit straight. Like, y'all are fucked up. We're tired of seeing you blow each other up. We're here to help. That's a, I, we, I can spend hours on that. But, you know, one thing, when you mentioned nature, the, the immediate thing that came to mind is something that my sister and my son confirmed because he goes to agricultural high school, mm -hmm. is that trees in the forest or trees anywhere, they communicate with yes. each other through the, through the root system. Mm -hmm. And if there's a predator, whether it's a microbial predator or any other kind of predator, they will communicate that and change their biochemistry based on that predator. Birds do the same thing. If you ever hear a blue jay, mm -hmm. sometimes blue jays have that like this, you know, very uh, uh, distinguishable, uh, you know, chirp or whatever the hell it is, mm -hmm. you know, and you hear it. What they're basically doing is they're warning all the other blue jays or basically all the other birds. Hey, there's a predator. Mm -hmm. Let's get the hell out of Dodge. There's, there's a red hawk up there or whatever. Right. Um, and if we can mimic nature, that it, we could survive. Yeah. The problem is, what, what did Joni Mitchell say? We got to get back to the garden. We're stardust. Mm -hmm. We've walked away from the garden. We're, we're basically, you know, we're islands unto ourselves. Right. And until, until we can get past our own bullshit, um, and, and act more like nature, these, na these, these nature systems mm -hmm. that have well outlived us. They, they were here way, you know, trees and plant life was here way before humans, you know, um, and, and you really, you observe how those, inter how those systems interact and how they cooperate and how they're symbiotic. Yep. That's really the way the human population has to be if it wants to survive. And what a better place to experience that and test that theory than cybersecurity and computer networks, right? Right. So we can rebuild those. We don't have to worry about extincting a species. You know, we can actually toy with that idea of evolution within computer networks. And, you know, I, I think that they had it right when they came out with SETI and, and distributed computing and, and looking at that model. But I think that as, as human beings now in the period of time that we're in, in our evolution, when you start looking at that, because the human body is changing over time, you know, gallbladders, we don't need them anymore. Appendix don't need that anymore, you know, but goddamn, we need an immune system for sure. 
And right now that's being chipped away piece by piece and the bacteria and the viruses are getting worse. And it just slays me that we have all this computing power, right? So, so my little cell phone right here has enough computing power. It has more computing power than the first supercomputer. Yeah. How are we not solving human problems with our supercomputers? No, because we're too worried about where the virus came from. Right, right. <laughs> frankly, who cares? Again, again, a political issue, right? Where did clouds come from? Who cares? They're here. You know, uh, where, where did the hurricane come from? Who cares? It's here. And, um, and I'll, I'll make a comment right before we start questions. So I had, a, so my stepson graduated high school, you know, a few years back. He actually came home from school, from high school and told me, hey, dad, did you know the clouds don't move? I said, what the fuck are you even saying right now? Like, the, no, they move. There's a thing called a jet stream. There's a thing called wind and convection. Yes, it moves. He said, no, my teacher told me they do not move. So I had to go to the school and say, what are you teaching my son? And she said, well, you know, technically they don't move because the earth moves at so many miles. And I was like, wait a minute, shut up. Just stop, stop. And I had to explain to her her own science. You know, it was like, this yeah. is blowing my But that's another problem. That's a completely different podcast of human stupidity teaching more human stupidity. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and open it up for, for questions. Dude, I could talk to you for hours on science and cybersecurity. Like, they intertwine with each other. Oh, so, so exactly. Yeah. I would love to have you back on the show at least a couple more times so we could, you know, hash this shit out. Because this is a great conversation, man. Um, so we have one. On September 11, 2020, we witnessed what was a first reported cyber attack. Actually, it was not 2020. Um, on a hospital in Dusseldorf, the cost of the life of a patient. Do you feel this was the wake-up call that people sadly needed to start protecting healthcare infrastructure better, or will we witness far more deaths? So I'll answer it first, and then I'll give it to you, <laughs> Dr. Davis. Um, first of all, 2020 was not the first attack on healthcare. Actually, the VA got hit way before that. Um, I was part of that, that information leak and they hit a database of all the veterans and actually caused some, some severe issues in the VA system. Um, to you, Dr. Davis, what is your take on that? Yeah, patients have been dying from screwed up uh, medical devices for uh, since the turn of the century. I'm not talking the last one, I'm talking you know, from the, the, the 19th to the 20th century. Um, you know, snake oil salesmen have been around for ages, right? And it, and it wasn't necessarily cyber, but we do know, and it's kind of an open secret around those who are in the, in the connected med device world that um, patients have been killed uh, from malfunctioning connected medical devices or just okay. malfunctioning medical devices. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's just like they've been killed from bad pharmaceuticals, you know, Fenfen and Zantac and all these other things. That Zeralto. Cause, yeah, they cause problems over time that we didn't realize in the beginning because the trials were done. But the thing about medical devices is if it's de uh, derivative, right? right? It's that, what do they call that? The um, 501 or is it a 501 or um, there's an FDA thing that says, okay, if it's similar to this that already exists, someone's mm. putting it down there right now, they didn't put it in the chat, but it's similar to this mouse. Um, yeah, you could go ahead. Well, you don't have to go through trials. You can just, you know, you want to change it from Bluetooth to Wi-Fi, just go ahead and do it because it's a derivative, you know, technology and it's, it'll probably, the outcomes will probably be the same. And no, they won't. But my feeling is 
that wasn't the first. Um, and I know it's kind of an open secret around, around the uh, physicians and others who are doing all this research and the engineers and so forth that have seen connected medical devices cause people harm. Um, right. And the, the problem is the minute you speak up about it, here come the lawyers, yeah. you know, here come the cease and desist letters, here come the, the very scary, scary, powerful, big companies that can absolutely destroy your life. And, and that's why folks are nervous about talking about it. Right. Another thing too, he asked another question. Do you feel we're all giving away far too much personal healthcare data um, to loads of watches and apps that are like Fitbit? So I'll go one step further than that. So when you log into, let's say United Healthcare, and you can access your, all of your health records, all your immunization records online, that when they turn to that type of service and, and customer service, that scared the shit out of me. And what happens? Those websites get hacked. Um, Fitbit, you know, like I have a Samsung watch, it monitors my heart rate. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't really scare me that much because it's, pretty generic statistics and who cares if my heart rate is 60 beats per minute because of my pacemaker, you know, what can you do with that shit? I'm more concerned over how companies post data and allow you to access that data. If I can access it, guess what? Somebody else can access it as well. So what I'm afraid of, we all remember if we took security plus or we just read, you know, we read in for the CCI or whatever, um, CCISP or whatever, CISSP, it's Saturday. You can tell I've been, uh, <laughs> been acting like it's Saturday the whole day. Um, you know, it's, there's a CIA, there's confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Confidentiality, that genie has been out of the bottle forever, you know, for, you know, decades. So there's nothing we can do about that. I mean, yeah, we can try and put the thumb screws down and, you know, make, PHI a, a bigger priority. I'm not too worried about the fact that somebody knows that I have fatty liver or somebody knows that, you know, um, has my age or whatever, you know, sure. If, if, if somebody really wants to grab my credit report or, you know, impersonate me from financial perspective or health perspective, I'm sure they can do it. I, a couple of years ago, I caught somebody using my LinkedIn profile photo as their photo. Oh. Like, what the hell is going on? So it's, it, you know, but it's the integrity and the availability. That's, those are the two things that really concern me. Because as, as a former physician, if I'm looking at a medical record and it's wrong, I can really screw up a case. 100%. Oh, you're, you're saying it was the left, not the right? Whoops. Oh, it's here it was the right. And that's happened. That's happened. Amputating the wrong leg because of a mis, you know, mix up on a, a personal record or whatever. Right. Absolutely. Right. And then, and then availability is a big pain in the ass too, because now, you know, your, your case is scheduled for Monday morning at seven 30 and you're removing a glioblastoma mm -hmm. from some, from some poor bastard that's got brain cancer. And right. guess what? All of a sudden the systems that will allow you to perform that surgery are not online. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to delay that surgery another day, another three days, another six days. Maybe you're going to have to send them to another facility that is not as sophisticated, that doesn't have the equipment you need. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to get the best care or their care is going to be delayed. Or if, so you, look at, or if you look at like the x-rays, right? So the, the company got hit with ransomware that, that did the x-ray uh, for the different doctors and hospitals. While they were down, there could have been somebody who had that brain tumor that they needed that x-ray to guide the surgery, right? So you don't have that. What are you supposed to do? Exactly. Wing it? 
Exactly. That's super important. Films are super important. Uh, anesthesiologists are super important to make sure all the, you know, I work for a med device company that also sold pharmaceuticals and also sold supplies. We basically pack a kit for a case and send it, right? And if that pick, pack, and ship, if that supply chain got screwed up anywhere along the way, you know, that case wasn't happening, right? It, you know, that sterile field wouldn't exist without, you know, without all that, all those people coming together, all that equipment coming together, all that data about the patient's problem coming together. Uh, and, and that's what I'm more concerned of rather than, than confidentiality. And I'm not saying let's give up on confidentiality, but it really probably shouldn't be the thing we're focused on the most. We Availability. Should really have, yeah, well, or integrity. Right, absolutely. The, the worst thing is, okay, the, the database was, uh, there was in a database intrusion. Mm. Oh, did they get the information? Did they copy it? No, the problem is, did they They manipulated it? it. Did yeah. they screw with it? And how do we find that needle in that haystack? I don't know what those records were. You know, and I, you know, I we got to do a CRC on this stuff. We got to figure out was the is the record the same it was on Tuesday? You know, like I I don't know. Yeah. Um, so that's stuff that worries me. And doctors no longer walk into a room into a patient's room with a with a notepad and a pen. It's more like an assistant with a laptop. So that data can get so fucked up and manipulated if you can get into that system, which truly is not that hard. Um, PAC systems are infamous for getting hacked. Um, yeah, so yeah. The other the other thing that scares the hell out of me is um, the combination of pulling all your medical information, all your financial information, and then all the information out of the IOT of your house. Yeah. How quickly with that information can I combine it to determine what ethnicity you are, what right. religion you are, what political uh, affiliations do you have, right? So if I, if I rise to power and now I have access to all that information, and you're not on the right side of whatever my agenda is, you're, a target. Like, you're screwed. Yeah. And that, that goes back to my original theory. My tinfoil hat is, you know, the military created, DARPA created the internet, the military gave them that, that capability and they made it public for everybody. Now you have this connection to every household. And now actually the level of poverty is determined on if you have internet connection or not, right? So they're in every home What's to say that that's not already happening? They're not building those profiles already. You know, we've already seen NSA collecting that data and, you know, using it for other purposes, right? And we've seen companies that do the same. Google, for instance, you know, they just mentioned Google and, and how they're irresponsible with data. You know, it's just, it's just a nightmare when it comes to where that data goes and what it can be used for. Some of it may be, you know, very small, very, you know, non-crucial, like the Fitbit, like who cares how many steps I did today? But with that same device, can you determine by emails that are popping into that device, you know, hey, is he aligned with the Communist Party? Or hey, you know, hey, is he a hacker that's targeting, you know, sensitive information? Handmail, right? Yeah. I mean, we're all we watch it, we get outraged. Yeah. But it's not that far off. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you think about if the, the tyrants of the 30s, you know, Franco, Mussolini, Hitler, yes. you know, Stalin, if they had that kind of data access, oh Could my you God. imagine? Yeah, the Holocaust would have, it wouldn't have taken, uh, how many years did it take? 10 years? It, it would have taken 10 Six months. months. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? I, yeah. I, I, know, I know what your thermostat is doing on Shabbat, so I know you're Jewish. Yeah. 
I, I know that every week you, you go to Wegmans and you buy a challah, so I know you're Jewish. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Ramadan, I know when Ramadan starts for you because, you know, whatever, your, your, your echo or your, your this, that, and the other does the following. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't take much to figure out who you are and what you are. Exactly. And, and, and uh, you know, I saw a presentation on genocide, uh, what it was, data-assisted genocide. Yeah. Oh, that scared the living daylights out of me. Uh, but you know that's that's you know that, yeah, well, that's the penultimate problem I think that we're dealing with when it comes to confidentiality. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Davis, I appreciate you being on the podcast. It's it's been an absolute pleasure, and I would love to do this again soon. And if you want to come back and help co-host and and we can interview people together, that would be fantastic as well. I, I think that you know if people looked at it from a genetic and from a, a, a you know, natural side, a biological side to cybersecurity would give them a whole different perspective. Um, so yeah, thanks again. And, you know, if there's anything we can do for you, reach out and, uh, you know, I hope to see you again very soon in the future. And thanks for your time, man. Thanks. This made my Saturday really enjoyable. Cool. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Anytime. Well, um, I'm going to, with that, I'm going to close it up and uh, thank everybody for joining the podcast. And uh, I look to talk to you soon. Thanks, Dr. Davis. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.